tired. So tired. Overtired. Hi, this is Brett Terpstra. You know me. Um, this is episode two of our very special series. What was it? A very special episode? Isn't that like Hallmark Channel? Um, um, I am here again with Jeff Severns Gunsel and Christina Warren, and we are going to we're we're gonna offer we're gonna ask some um ho- hopefully open-ended questions that will lead to some really fun discussions. The last episode went great. I think uh this was this was Jeff's brainchild. I'm I'm very impressed with how it's going so far. Um before we roll into the new interview questions, I did have one topic, um, especially for Christina, but I'm curious about Jeff's input on this as well. Um, Mastodon. Uh, I I didn't run away from Twitter when Elon just completely royally fucked it. Um, I have I have thirteen thousand followers there. I have a good community. I feel um, I feel heard there. And that's hard for me to leave behind. But the fact is, it has become truly a a wasteland. Um, And all of a sudden, like I set up a Mastodon instance maybe a year ago. um, And all of a sudden, I started getting enough followers that I started following back that my timeline got interesting to to the point where I check Mastodon before Twitter now. Twitter has become kind of a a secondary. I'll just see what's there. Where that used to be what Mastodon was. I'd check it like maybe every three or four days and respond to queries there. But I hit like this critical mass. I I'm up to almost two thousand followers, and I follow about maybe three hundred fifty people, and that was like a magic number. All of a sudden, Mastodon got really interesting for me. Um, I, I was getting more interaction from a post there than I have on Twitter for a long time. And I was finding more interesting articles and more links and more funny jokes. And like Mastodon suddenly became a thing for me. Uh, like this just happened in the last couple of weeks. Um, Ivory came out and, and th- there's honestly a great ecosystem of apps. Mona, Ice Cubes, like uh toot uh there just there are so many good mastodon apps it feels like the early days of twitter uh when twitter was a little more um before the invention of the hashtag you guys remember that like that era when twitter was still figuring out what it was and i feel like that's where we're at with mastodon so i'm curious uh how what your guys current perspective on mastodon is uh how your your follower counts are going um is it is it replacing twitter for you yeah so for me it's getting there i'm i'm still in this weird place and i'm actually so and this is what's frustrating because twitter may or may not be shutting down the or changing the terms of the developer api which will make this difficult but I'm still in this weird place where like I kind of have to use both because I have amassed a really large audience on Mastodon, uh, relatively speaking. Like I've got almost 13,000 followers now. So I have more than 10% of my Twitter followers are now on Mastodon. And I find that the engagement is a lot better. I think A, because frankly, it's it's a smaller audience. So more people, even though I have like fewer followers because like the pool of Mastodon users is smaller, like more people see your stuff and more people want to be engaged with it, um, which 
honestly was similar to Twitter in its early days too, when it was smaller. Uh, I think a lot of times you had sometimes, you know, people who were lucky enough to have like bigger accounts had like a bigger impact, so to speak. And then as the services get bigger, you need bigger and bigger like account numbers for that um, to, to continue to work. Um, the people who are on Mastodon, it, it reminds me a lot of like Apple Twitter circa like 2007 to like 2010, like the Mac people are all there, you know, Mm -hmm. like our, like my, my, my kind of tech nerds. Um, but not everybody is there. Like pop culture is not there. Memes are not there. Um, and so, uh, there are even some people who do cool stuff that like, like I, you know, um, who I, I maybe wouldn't give a shout out about something who aren't there. So I still feel like I have to use both. And so ideally, and, and, and I'm trying to treat them as different things. Like I, I don't want to set up like an automated, like cross post the same content to each service thing. Cause that's, doesn't feel right. But it also is annoying to have to rewrite the same post for two different yeah. audiences. So there's this service called Moa Party, uh, or it's Moa.Party, and but you can host your own instance um, as well. That basically lets you cross post between networks like Mastodon and Twitter, and yeah. it and it can be conditional. So you could have like a hashtag, and only posts that have that hashtag would be cross posted. Yeah, that to me is ideal, and that's really what I want. But I don't know how long that'll be like um useful given that the the twitter api is kind of in flux yeah i was using i was using like open web services for quite a while for a year uh to cross post anything i posted to twitter just got posted to mastodon and anything i retweeted on twitter showed up as a boost on mastodon and that that worked for a while twitter broke that um that no longer functions and i'm fine with it because mastodon has just become the place i go first yeah, yeah I'm, talk I'm, about stuff. I, I've noticed that I've started to kind of do that too. It, to, to the point though where, yeah, but because of my job and because of other things, like I can't completely, I mean, I guess I could completely migrate, but it just, I don't know. It doesn't feel fair to the people who are still on Twitter in some ways yeah. too, who, who, who I know still want to maybe converse with me. Maybe yeah, that's, I'm maybe, not, I'm not you know deleting I mean? my Twitter account. Totally. Totally. And so, but, but, um, I'm trying to kind of figure out like, the the way that I can cross post again, like I said, conditionally, right? Like mm-hmm. if there's an instance where, but but it is interesting. It, what it, for me the changing moment was getting rid of the Twitter clients, like all the Elon yeah. stuff. I didn't. I mean, yeah. I hated it, but it was getting rid of the Twitter clients. And for me, I think it was because then I started seeing a significant a mass of people who weren't there. And it was also, I think that that decision also coincided with some of the other decisions that have been made at Twitter where things are breaking, but we don't know how broken it is because mm-hmm. so many people are gone. And so the website's still functioning, but it's not really functioning. And so people don't see your tweets because that stuff has been changed or the the logic behind that is broken and, and no one knows how to Somehow, fix it. Somehow, no matter how much blocking and unfollowing I do, I still see tweets from Elon every day. Yeah, yeah. Uh, every and, day. And there were reports that he like had like made forced kind of uh, you know, engineers to yeah. rejigger the algorithm so that everybody would see his content first, which is a la, a la the great fictional company Huli. Yeah, yep. exactly. One hundred percent. One hundred. I mean, this oh, is Gavin. all of this is like literally out of like Silicon Valley, um, but it's real. But 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 beyond like that stuff, like stuff is just broken and yeah, the site is breaking and whatnot. And so it's becoming this frustrating thing where it's like I don't get the engagement. I don't see people that I used to really like. Some of them have moved to Mastodon. Some of them haven't. 
And so I'm like, well, if I get more engagement, you know, on this platform, I'm, I'm going to spend more time here. But like I said, the thing that sucks about it is like all my memes, all my pop culture, all that stuff is just not there. And yeah. I don't know if it's going to be there. Like, I Do think you- that. Yeah. Does Instagram fill that gap for you at all? Because to me, Instagram is broken these days, too. Yeah, um, it, it, every yeah, it is. Third post on Instagram is an ad. I get they they infiltrate my timeline with people I don't follow because yep. someone I do follow liked a post. Yep. And they decided, all right, I'm going to show I'm that notifi- to you. I'm getting notifications now that so-and-so posted something and I'm getting a notification because two people that I follow also follow. And I'm like, what are you doing? Yeah. Like, I, yeah, I, I don't. No, it's broken. Not not in the way that Twitter is broken, but right. it is it is it's going to kill itself. It oh, is totally. going to kill itself. 100 percent. The thing that had kept Instagram, I think, so successful for so long is that Kevin Systrom and uh, Mike, I can't think of his last name, um, uh, last name starts with the K, the two like founders were still there. And when they left, I think that they left in 2018 um, because of some clashes with Zuck. Uh, that to me, I was like. Okay, there it goes because they had they had maintained like creative control and like product vision, and you know he started putting just the the you know ad guys and the people who are juicing engagement in charge, and then the service dies. Like, yeah. you know, because it's not sustainable. And with Apple's latest like, do not follow right uh, technologies, and with Google removing like cookie tracking. Um, in upcoming removal of cookie tracking, like the ad, the ad based uh, system that these major services were built on is going to fail them. And they do, they've never put time into figuring out an alternative way to make money. And Elon's struggling with that right now. Uh, but also Zuck, like there's just, it's, it's, in an in an era where we're starting to worry a little more about privacy, where we've stopped just voluntarily giving up privacy, um, ads aren't ads aren't going to work the way they have for the last ten years or so. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's it's interesting. People will have to change things. I mean, it's interesting to look that at a you know TikTok's rise too, which is uh, so inter- TikTok is a completely different system in that like. And this, I think, is why Instagram has been struggling because Instagram was brought up in like the old web era where your social graph, it was very important that it be people you know. And that was what linked you together. And like that was, you know, uh, Facebook and that was Instagram. And and to a certain extent, that was Twitter. Twitter has always kind of been kind of in the middle of these two worlds, which to me is actually a strength. But, you know, uh, it's not a strength if you don't capitalize on that. Whereas, um TikTok is all about your interest graph. It's not about your your personal uh, yeah. graph, right? Like I don't really follow a lot of people that I know in real life. I follow some of them, but a lot of them I don't. And I, I kind of don't even like that like I see people auto-following me on TikTok because I, yeah. I don't post anything on there. But I'm kind of like, oh, man, I'm, that's not really, you know, the audience <laughs> I'm kind of going for. Like if you want to, cool, but like that's not really, you know, my my, my bag. And so it's, it's, a, it's different expectations and different types of, you know, interactions with things the reason it sucks that what Instagram is doing is that like you go into it with the expectation that I'm going to see people that I chose to follow my friends or people I'm mm-hmm. interested in. 
and instead they're showing you content that they think you're going to like. And hey, maybe you do like it, but like that's not what I signed up for. But yeah, and it's like the majority. Exactly. Like if you want if you wanted to slip in you know, something you thought I would be interested in every 10, 20 posts, fine. Sure. But you get past the first five posts in your Instagram feed. Yeah. And it's it's not stuff you signed up to see. No, it's, no. It's where, where just it's like, reaching for your interest at that point. Exactly. Whereas TikTok was very clear about we're going to show you stuff that we think you will like based on yeah. your activity. And you might not even have to follow people. We're just going to continue to feed you this stuff. But like, I know that I know that going into TikTok that that's what it's going to do. YouTube is sort of similar in that way, right? Like yeah. I might follow certain personalities, but I don't need to have like a personal relationship with people that I follow on YouTube. And yeah. a lot of times stuff that's recommended to me is not people that I follow. And that's great because that's yeah, like how I come into it. YouTube's algorithm, YouTube's algorithm is working for me. I watch a video from someone that I specifically subscribe to. I yep. watch their video at the end of it. After I've gotten the content I came there for, it gently suggests, oh, if you dug that, here's some other related content. Um, and sure, you know, like the whole radicalization procedure that it puts people through is is terrifying. But for me, I, I I find new content. I subscribed to three new YouTubers last week just because of suggested content after a video I watched. That's that's an OK way to do it. But that works on YouTube because you are consuming more than just one image and then moving on. You're actually right. engaged with something for five to 20 minutes or longer if you're into like crazy call-in shows like the atheist experience. But we totally <laughs> lost Jeff in all yes, of this. I'm totally sorry, did. Jeff. Yes, Jeff. No, you didn't lose me. I'm listening. I, uh, <laughs> I was on a, I'm just I, here to listen. My favorite I, 12 step response. I, I have the privilege of being able to kind of sit back and see how this Mastodon Twitter thing sorts. Cause I don't have any reason to be, are you on? I, have any, I don't have any. No, I'm not. I'm sorry. I'm not, I don't have any professional reason to be on Mastodon or on Twitter at the moment, and so I I've been just kind of letting it fly, letting it go, see what happens. But I I find it a little. We've talked about this before, Christina. You and I talked about this. I think when Brett was out, like it is it is the case that I I know that there's so much of what I have gone to Twitter for and what I've built and uh, you know in terms of who I followed and lists and everything else, like. They just can't be recreated. Yeah. Like and totally. and I'm 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 not ready to fully grieve that loss. And so I've kind of totally I've stayed in but I've I've noticed, you know, every every week it's it's a truer thing that uh what I created is not really what I created anymore. Yeah. Um and so you know, as a kid who had to move like 30 times or something, it pisses me oh, off man. to have to like take all my posters down and put them on up somewhere yeah. else. <laughs> but I do Absolutely. have to I do have to go over to Mastodon and, and put my posters up. Should I create an overtired Mastodon account? And if so, yeah, what instant should I put it on? Is there a podcast like what place where podcasts gather? Is there an instance for podcasts? I bet there is. I bet there is. I bet there is. Yeah, because because there are because unfortunately it does sort of matter. I would think Hacky Durham might be the one that we would use. Okay. Uh, because that's kind of like the tech centric one. Um. Uh. But yeah. Let's, Actually, let's, let's let's also put this out to our listeners. Like, yeah. What 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 instance do you think we should be on? Should we be on Mastodon for overtired? I feel like it. 
it, it would find our audience because like both of us have managed to build, you know, um, good proportions of our of our Twitter audiences yeah. on Mastodon really quickly with with very little work. I want to switch. Great. I want to switch instances. Like I signed up. <laughs> I'm on yeah nojack.ezdns.com uh, or .ca. <laughs> Not CA. Is that, um, is that, yeah. that sounds like some dark web drug buying shit. It does. It, is, it does. It is, what it is is libertarian shit. It's it's got it. Easy DNS is run by a libertarian who puts out a libertarian newsletter, and there there's this fine line between like skeptical of the government, which I am, um, and and libertarian, and like I I am. The newsletter he puts out talks about privacy invasions, especially in uh, Canada and the U.S. and and it's stuff that is actually of interest to me. Uh, but the the approach he takes <laughs> to it is disconcerting for me. Um, that said, like I signed up because it, he was like, "Hey, I made a Mastodon instance," and at the time, Mastodon was a new thing, and I'm like, "All right, I'll sign up," and I did. And now I have this embarrassing. Uh, Mastodon handle tt scoff at nojack dot dot ezdns dot ca, um, and I I want to switch. I feel like there's there's like <laughs> there's an there's a there are indie app spaces. Um, there are uh, spaces that I would feel more comfortable having associated with my handle that. <laughs> Um, I, I know it's possible to like switch instances and have all of your followers follow you there. Yes. And I I've done it. I haven't uh, looked I, into it yet. Yeah. I'll, 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 I can walk you through that. The only thing is, is that like, you want to figure out what instance you want to go to. And then, um, with your number of followers, I think that you would be okay. It takes some time because they have to repropagate. You won't bring your posts with you. That's, that's the only thing. All of your posts will remain kind of in a read-only state okay. in in the old thing. Um, and at um, this point, I think I'm okay with that. Totally, I'm just saying that 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 is kind of a, a concern uh, that a lot of people have. And I've actually been looking at maybe getting my own like hosted uh, Mastodon instance that like I control at, at like Mastahost. Um, yeah. And Ooh, we uh, should start an overtired. Instance. I was thinking that. I was thinking <laughs> that. I was like, we could do that for like five dollars a month or something. Um, but. Uh, and we've been thinking about doing one for rocket, but, um, I would join the rocket instance. Yeah, totally. Totally. Um, and we could have it overtired at, at, at like whatever our, um, uh, I'm surprised Re relay doesn't have their own instance. Relay does. I think oh, but they okay. don't have it. Like, it's not like a thing where like, at least to my knowledge anyway, they're, I mean, maybe for some people they're like, Hey, join our instance and, and yeah. move all your stuff over. But, but it's mostly for shows at this point. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I don't know, so, Brett. Wouldn't you wouldn't you miss TT Scuff at uh take it sleazy yeah. dot that's what she said <laughs> dot biz? It's gotta be dot CA. It's gotta be it's gotta be a Chinese a Chinese TLD. Um, um all right. We are we, we're 20 minutes in already and we haven't gotten to interview mm. questions. So what I'm gonna do is take a quick sponsor block. Uh, and then we'll spend the rest of the time on our interview questions. So same sponsor from last week. Our sponsor Collide has some big news. If you're an Okta user, they can get your entire fleet to 100% compliance. How? If a device isn't compliant, the user can't log into your cloud apps until they fix the problem. It's that simple. 
Collide patches one of the major holes in zero trust architecture, device compliance. Without Collide, IT struggles to solve basic problems like keeping everyone's OS and browser up to date. Unsecure devices are logging into your company's apps because there's nothing there to stop them. Collide is the only device trust solution that enforces compliance as part of authentication, and it's built to work seamlessly with Okta. The moment Collide's agent detects a problem, it alerts the user and gives them instructions to fix it, and if they don't fix the problem within a set time, they're blocked. Collide's method means fewer support tickets, less frustration, and most importantly, 100% fleet compliance. Visit collide.com slash overtired to learn more or book a demo. That's K-O-L-I-D-E dot com slash overtired. So if you or your team is on Okta, check out collide.com slash overtired. Also, we, uh, we have a promo swap this week. Are you looking to get more out of your fandom experiences? Do you wish you had the time to keep up with all the latest news and insights about your favorite film franchises? Well, then look no further than the Nerd Room podcast, a weekly audio experience with deep dives into the latest news, reviews, and speculation from the worlds of Star Wars, Marvel, DC, and beyond. Whether you're a casual fan or a diehard enthusiast, the Nerd Room has something for everyone. Plug into the Nerd Room podcast every Thursday on all major podcast platforms and let them bring the nerd to you. For more information on the Nerd Room, head to thenerdroom.net or use the hashtag we the nerd. Hashtag we the nerd. We the nerd. We the nerd. Yes. All right. Jeff, do you want to kick us off with a question again? All right. Here is the question. It's not so much a tech question, although I guess maybe it could be if you choose to snap and end up in like a server room. But if you could snap your fingers and be anywhere in the world, but invisible, why invisible? So obviously why the place, but why invisible? Okay. All right. I think that I would go to China Hmm. and I would go to China or I would go to Ukraine. Um, and I would be invisible in both of those places because I, well, Ukraine, because I, I would want to be safe and would not want to necessarily have to like engage in all like the horror that's happening there. But I would also like to see what's happening on the ground and China. I would love to go to China, but my fear about going to China has been for a long time and not so much fear, but just like hesitation. It's been like, I'm going to have to bring a burner phone. I'm going to have to bring a burner laptop. Yeah. I'm going to have to like deal with a lot of like the, the, the state sponsored stuff. And I, yeah. I don't know how much I would want to engage necessarily with the state. And so I would love to see China, but I would like to see it in a context where like, I'm not having to engage with the government, which seems like that would be difficult to do otherwise. Um, and in the Ukraine, simply it's just that I'm a freaking baby and, and don't want to go to like a war zone. That's um, not that. That's not being a baby. That's wanting to live. <laughs> but but I but I would like to see like what's happening on the ground, and I would like to like you know, yeah, uh, have, have have perspective of that. Totally, totally. That's awesome. Did you ever see the um the YouTube video? It was this guy? I think he's in Shenzhen, and he he's like how I made my own iPhone, and he basically goes through 
all the tech markets to find the various pieces of iPhone tech and puts it all together uh, just about at the end. Oh God, it, I, that's what I thought of when you said you'd want to you'd want to be in China. I just, no, I, I totally I the go. tech markets. Yeah, I would love to see the tech markets. <laughs> I would love to see like the, some of the factories. Uh, I would love to see some of the. I mean, it's such a vast country, right? Like, like just yeah, like, it, it, I would love. I would love to see like the the Great Wall as as uh, you know trade as that is. Um, no, uh, but, it but is I would love great. to see. Th- yeah, I'd love to see the cities. Like, I haven't spent a lot of time in Asia, unfortunately. Um, I'd, I'd had some trips planned, and then uh, COVID happened. Um, but I would, I like, I, I don't want to be invisible when I go to Tokyo. Like, I want to like be fully immersed sure. in all yeah. of that. Yeah, yeah. Um, but I in China, I, I, I have a feeling I'll go there someday and, and not invisible, and I'll be very happy to do that. But again, like, I'd be thinking about my opsec, and I'd be thinking about like the state. So it would be cool to be there, you know, again, kind of as an observer um, and not having to necessarily be like a participant. I I think that I think that for me is is any place I would go be like a place I would want to go to observe, but not to participate in. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That makes a lot of sense. Brett, I couldn't think of an answer to this. Well, I had to think hard to come up with an answer that wasn't creepy and overtly sexual. Um, (laughs) You know, it's funny. It didn't even occur to me what a creepy question that could be. No, it didn't. Me either. And until we said this, and I'm like, oh, actually, yeah, fair enough. Fair enough. So, so here's my answer. Here's what, here's what I came up with. Um, I would like to, are we incorporeal? Like, do we take up space in this invisible? Cause I, go, I, I leave that up to you. With, like, I want to go to a Michelin star kitchen. Um, oh, and I want to, I want to watch the chef and the sous chefs. I want to watch them work. Um, yeah. I love, I love cooking YouTube. Um, I love oh, watching I love so real much. chefs do their thing. I love food so much. Um, and it's just fascinating to me to see that what goes into the preparation of Michelin star meals. And if I could be in those kitchens, which don't have a lot of space and like you can't be in the way. So I would literally have to be a fly on the wall, an invisible fly on the wall. Or you'd have to be Um, a ratatouille. You'd have to be a rat. (laughs) Yeah. I would hope that there aren't a lot of rats in Michelin star kitchens. But but yes, um, I I would just I would love to just spy that would be awesome. On someone not making a YouTube video, just doing their thing, just yeah. in the moment, not explaining what they're doing, just fucking you, cooking. You just want to actually observe. I love, th- oh, I love this answer so much. This is like, this is genuinely like such a better <laughs> answer than mine. That's so cool. No, that's, no, that's that's, like, I like really, your answer. Really smart. That's awesome. Did you guys, oh, we talked about the bear, right? You guys saw the bear. Oh, yeah. I know, I I know we're bear. not talking Michelin I do star not want to. I do not want to be in the bear, <laughs> uh, invisible or otherwise. <laughs> no. But love that but, show. But that kitchen environment, like yeah. to me, there's something attractive about like just being in a kitchen that knows what they're doing and like. Yeah. yeah, you you yeah. you read you read the book Kitchen Confidential, right? I'm sure you did. I didn't. I did not either. <gasps> okay, you have to. And the audiobook is really good, especially now that he's gone. Um, but it is Anthony Bourdain's, you know, book. It was yeah turned into a TV show, but no, you would love it. You would love it, Brett, because it, it's all the culture and and everything that goes into that, and it's 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 a great book. Um, awesome. The audiobook is really really good too, because he you know, is, is the narrator and he's obviously, you know, he was a fantastic, yeah. um, uh, speaker and, and storyteller. Um, 
you saying this. So my favorite ride at Disney World was the Ratatouille <laughs> that was ride. Was my next question? The was, Ratatouille was, ride was the Ratatouille ride. Uh, uh, like Remy's uh, quest or something. I don't remember what it's called now. But basically, you're in these little. Um, the way that they have it working is that it's one of the the three D um, rides. Um, or I think it's 3d. Um, I think you have 3d glasses. It's kind of a combination of different elements. So, uh, basically it's like a dark ride coaster sort of thing, but each of the, um, cars is shaped like a mouse. And so the idea is that you are a mouse who's, um, helping, um, assist Remy as he's helping get service (laughs) for the restaurant. And so everything is like massively like scaled. So like you've got like, you know, and you've got these experiences where like you have um, somebody sees you uh, or, and, and you almost get swept under something and then a uh, water from the uh, mop comes and hits you in the face and real water comes out. <laughs> and, 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 you know, you see like these, these, these different kind of uh, thing. It's just super, super fun. Like I, I, awesome. I went on it several times and I had a great time. Uh, so uh, that made me think of that because that was like, I feel like kind there's of being a fly a- in the wall in, in a high end restaurant. There's yeah. a litmus. There's a litmus test, much akin to knowing that Frankenstein wasn't the monster, um, and knowing that Ratatouille wasn't the rat. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Right. Right. <laughs> All right. Can I? Can before we switch to Jeff's answer, which I want to hear, um, have you guys ever read A Deadly Education? No. No. It's. <sighs> You, you you said audiobook and this I just want to mention this okay. completely completely as an aside, uh, but it's Harry Potter except there are no teachers in the school. The school wants to kill you. Only a quarter of the graduating class survives. Okay, but it's <laughs> it's magic and it's lethal. And I started this book and just immediately got engrossed in it. Like it is what I look forward. I'm, I'm doing the audio book. It's part of a trilogy, but a deadly education is the first one. And nice. it just drops you immediately into this world where magic wants to kill you. Okay. And I love this. Every decision you make is a survival decision. It's fascinating. Okay. I'm going to put this in my queue. Of, of things to like to listen to next and I have an audible yeah. credit. Okay. I highly recommend it. Okay, Very I good. Like it. All right. Awesome. Jeff. So what is your answer to this question? Um, it's funny. I wrote the question and then instantly had an answer as I was writing it. Um, and it didn't have anything to do with girls locker rooms. No, it did not. Damn, <laughs> Sorry. It's, this isn't going to be, what's the movie? Porkies. Oh, what's the porkies. porkies. Thank you very <laughs> much. Well played. <laughs> um, okay. So I, from 1998 to 2001, I was traveling back and forth to Iraq, uh, doing like humanitarian work. And then, um, I stopped for a while and then the war happened and I went back and I went back like, you know, does everybody remember the big statue being pulled down? Mm-hmm. Sure. Yep, I went back. Of course, I went back like right after that, right after that, like a day or two after that. Um, so the occupation was pretty new, and and everything was still very uh, confusing, and um, and and also it was the um, first time I had ever experienced a city that I knew well. It's the only time I ever experienced a city that I knew well um, being totally like leveled, not leveled, because <laughs> in Baghdad, like. 
it was a lot of like what they call smart bomb hits, you know, mm, yeah. but, but there were, there were, there was just enough of that kind of stuff that the whole city felt different, even though, mm. you know, other parts were still working, whatever. Anyway, I really love that city. Um, and, and really loved the time I was blessed to spend in it. Um, but once the war ended and especially once the civil war started, um, which, you know, it was like 2006 or so when that started lasted a couple of years, it, it just wasn't possible to go back. Like I, I had had friends, um, Iraqi and American kidnapped. I had had, uh, someone who was traveling with my organization was kidnapped and then beheaded. Um, and, and it just wasn't possible to go and not get someone hurt basically. Um, and, and the place that I would like to go now, because it's now been since, uh, 2003, since I was there at all. Um, and of course coming up on the 20th anniversary of the war this month is, um, there was this big hotel called, called the, the Palestine hotel. And, um, you could go to the restaurant on the top floor, which was like a 360 restaurant. It wasn't one of those that moved. They had one of those in Baghdad, but this wasn't that, but it was like, there were all of these like, um, really high backed booths that you could sit in and kind of see some part of the city. And it was like a perfect place. Cause you're like right on the Tigris river. And, um, you could really see how the city's laid out and how it's functioning and, um, all of that stuff. And I used to love it. Cause like you could go up there and there'd be like young lovers eating cake in the like private booths, you know? Um, and, uh, and people would meet there for various reasons. It's a lovely place to hang out. Um, and I would love to just be plopped there first in that restaurant to just have sort of a look around the city and see what's changed because it's not so much that it was all bombed out anymore. It's that it's been in a rebuilding process for quite some time. And, um, and I, and I know exactly how I would be able to see that, um, like which park areas and which whatever else. And just sounds lovely to be able to be there and, and wandering around and not, uh, not getting anybody hurt (laughs) because that is the sad reality to this day. I mean, I have friends who go, everyone always goes to Northern Iraq, but in Baghdad, I, I think it's still not terribly safe for anybody who is your friend. If you're there. <laughs> sure. Yeah. So I want to be dropped in a restaurant too. Um, <laughs> for entirely different reasons. <laughs> for entirely different reasons. <laughs> All right. Oh, and the sunsets. You can watch the sunsets there. It was really awesome. Nice. It's an awesome city, man. I hope, I hope to God one day you, you could just travel there normally and be a tourist. It's just an awesome city. Nice. What do you think would have to happen for that to actually be a reality? Like, I would hope that too, but I just don't know geopolitically if that's ever going to really be a possibility. I have no idea anymore. I used to think I could imagine a pathway to that moment, but the way in which the way in which the region and and geopolitical forces generally like shifted or imploded because of that war and the way in which that some of that implosion didn't happen for five years or 10 years or 15 years and the way in which that's still happening, you know, I can't imagine. I mean, I just think I get so frustrated as someone who was working pretty much full time as an anti-war like organizer and going on TV and radio because I've been traveling there. So I could like talk about it like that. Um, you know, it's not even satisfying to say we were right. Cause actually we were wrong. It mm-hmm. was bad. We had no fucking idea how bad it was going to be. Right. 
um, you know, we weren't saying, we weren't saying, Hey, there's going to be a civil war and there'll be bodies in the street every day that nobody wants to pick up because it's dangerous to even go out and pick up a body in the street. Right. Like we weren't thinking of that. We weren't thinking of Syria. We weren't thinking of the Arab spring and, and, and where right. that fits into everything. We and, weren't thinking 20 years. Yeah. And, and so I don't know, I, I don't know how to, I don't know how to think about it. But. You know who you should talk to though, is Jared Kushner. Yeah, that guy seems to be on top of some shit. <laughs> yeah, I would All love. Right. I would love to kick him in the shin and flick his ear. <laughs> um, All right. Visible. So my question for you guys would be: since since we were talking about Michelin star kitchens, yes. <laughs> All right. So envision your last meal. You don't have to be on death row. <laughs> but you have the opportunity, you know, you know, this is your last meal for whatever reason. What do you want to eat and where do you want to eat it? I'm so I'm so confused about this question because like I get way too in the weeds right away. Like, sure. I'm like, I'm like, well, if it's my last meal, I don't want to just be jerked around <laughs> to some part of the world and then back home. And like, I want to be with my people. It's you a snap I mean? of the fingers. It's a snap of the fingers. You're just suddenly, okay. okay. You're suddenly there's no weird. jet lag. Or... No, no, there's okay. no travel. You're just, you have this moment where you get to eat the meal of your choice in the setting that you choose with no other repercussions. And and if you have any dietary sensitivities, they don't apply. They don't apply. Like for me, like I'm I'm uh, gluten and lactose intolerant. So like some of my favorite meals, I I just I can't eat. So for me, this is like a total fantasy thing. <laughs> OK, I have one. I have one. I have one. OK. I don't know where this location is, but I'm assuming I could almost like make a request and, yeah. mm -hmm. and the location would be found. Um, I would love to have the, the best pupusa cart in El Salvador's pupusas as my last street food. You want street food. I want street food, but I want pupusas. Yeah. And, and I don't want to. I don't want to do what always happens when you're in the states, which is like, oh, maybe they're going to be super dry. They're never. You can never know uh -huh. they're going to be right. I want to know that they're right, and I want that to be my last meal with, if if possible. And I don't want to. I don't want to assume they're supposed to have uh, uh, the cake of another country or anything like that. But if there's some tres leches cake for dessert, <laughs> sounds great. It's it's your fantasy, man. You, you set the menu. My my friend Dan and I, um, when we lived in Chicago, we both worked at Punk Planet Magazine. He was the like founder of Punk Planet Magazine, and we would get pupusas every week. And we actually took a community Spanish class just so we could order our pupusas in Spanish. Wait, Dan Danny? No, Dan Sinker. Oh, okay. Different, not Danny Glamour. Oh, I was gonna, if if he was the founder of of Punk Planet, <laughs> I, I was gonna I was gonna regret not. <laughs> <laughs> not, not knowing that at our last interaction. Okay. No. So we learned just enough Spanish to order in Spanish. That was our goal. Nice. Christina, have you thought of anything? Yeah, I have. So I think it would be a John George's restaurant. And I'm just trying to figure out which one it would be. Mm. Um, because there are a bunch. So like I could go like lower end in the John George's like pantheon which is not to say it's low end because it's still great I, and say abc kitchen um in um uh new york city in the Flatiron, um where i've been many times and where i had thanksgiving once nice. um 
and uh, I, I I love ABC Kitchen. I think it's a great restaurant, um, and it it has like a nice mix of um, uh, different types of of foods, but they have really good um, like pastas and but also great fish, which he's known for, and and meats and steaks and other things. There was a John George's restaurant that I was went to in Sao Paulo in Brazil that was at this hotel that um, one of my coworkers was staying at because she booked the fancy hotel and the rest of us stayed at like the Marriott, like in the city. <laughs> and she stayed like further out, like this super, super swank hotel because she did it right. <laughs> and like my last day in Brazil, and this was in um, early December. And it made me think that like, I would love to go to Brazil during um, New Year's some, some year because it's uh, warm there, it's summer there. And, um, we were like out by the pool and we ate at the, uh, this, this just fantastic restaurant. I had this great risotto and this great, um, uh, uh, these great scallops. Um, and, and, and then there's, then there's John George's in, in New York city. But I think honestly, the one in Brazil, I think the one in, uh, in Sao Paulo in in kind of like is outside of the city a little bit. It's in this beautiful hotel that had this like beautiful pool and, and the restaurant was fantastic and um, the food was just great and, and it was just a wonderful location and it was kind of a fusion of a bunch of different things. And so I think that's one of my favorite restaurants and um, I've also been to some great restaurants in Paris, but I think that the, the John Georges in, uh, in Brazil is, is where I would have my final meal. That All sounds right. like fun. Nice. Do you want right. to hear my answer? Oh, we have to hear of your answer. Of course we want to hear your answer. I have I have two, All right. and and come come end of life I would have to choose one or the other. Uh, <laughs> first one would be like a a Neapolitan pizza with a like Italian meal served in Rome, with, in a small villa with like a family of twelve, mm-hmm. like the whole Italian dining experience, like family style dining experience. Um, pizza and and i i don't even know i'm not italian enough to know what the ideal accompaniments would be but i envision like <laughs> a whole meal built around neapolitan pizza okay um well yeah second option is street taco pork i'm a vegetarian but this is my last this meal this is your final meal so so you're going all out do it a, yep. a, an al pastor pork taco mm. from a street cart in Mexico City. Eaten, awesome. eaten at a picnic table street side. Like that's those are my those are my two competing options for my last meal. Awesome. What are you gonna do? Flip a coin or what? I I mean, I, I think it's whatever I'm in the mood for at the yeah. moment. I find out that this is my last meal. It's it's whatever comes to mind first. The way I when when we're talking about like going out for dinner, what I do is I close my eyes and I imagine eating different foods and I pay attention to the way it makes me feel in my body when yeah. I imagine the foods. And people when we go out to restaurants, I am always the guy that everyone's like, "Oh, I should have ordered that." Uh because I order <laughs> I order well, like I'm really good at, <laughs> I'm really good at examining. How is this going to make me, how, what level of happiness is this dish going to bring me? Yeah. And, and imagining it and, and feeling it and then making my decision. So give like at the moment, in the moment where this, someone's like, this is your last meal. What do you do? 
I would picture the two. I would see how I felt and and roll with it. I I, I I have another potential addendum. Patsy's. You could use a pizza, and I was just like, I gotta go to Patsy's oh, yeah. in New York City. That's like so the best good. pizza. I haven't been there. It, it, it's like probably like the the best pizza in New York, in awesome. my opinion. All right. Yeah, it's lovely. God, I love talking about food. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Christina. All right, my question is, um, what was the first thing like? You know, talking like like musician or band or film or an author or a brand or whatever, like that you were a fan of, like a fan, like your first like introductory to fandom, like the first thing that you loved, you know, that you maybe like had, like would, would, you know, get merch from or, or, or want to be, you know, want to put posters of your wall up of and, and, and just loved everything about it, like beyond just liked, but like you were a fan of, uh, and, and then the, the secondary question of that is like, are you still a fan of that thing today? All right. So I had to think long and hard about this because like I grew up, we weren't allowed to watch a lot of TV. I wasn't allowed to buy music. Um, My parents listened to Peter, Paul and Mary and like there just were not a lot of things. But the TV shows I was allowed to watch as a kid, I became fans of. And I would have to go with Knight Rider. Okay. Um, like I had, I had the kit model car. I had the action figure of David Hasselhoff. I had the poster on my on my room wall. Um, like Knight Rider was the first time that I experienced like going to bed at night and wondering what Knight Rider was doing now. Uh, that like ah. I want into this person's life. And Knight Rider, I mean, secondary, secondarily like Buck Rogers, but I would say Knight Rider was my first fandom. And no, I'm not still a fan. I've seen <sighs> episodes of it. It doesn't hold up. Um, oh, that I, sucks. I, the, the maybe theme, I'm over it. The I might theme, be overly the, critical. The theme song is still fantastic. It is. Did Fantastic you hear theme song? The band, the band Deerhoof, made an amazing record recently that integrated that. Um, I haven't theme heard song. that. I'll check it's that out. Really amazing. All right, I'm adding a note for the show notes. Deerhoof. All right, that's what I got. Um, mine. So, if we're talking first, like the first for me, I believe would be Motley Crue. Um, first time I was exposed to them, it was just to their images. So my, not even my stepbrother yet, because our parents were dating and, and I was living and living together. And so he came home and at the bottom of the stairs in our townhouse was a record. And it was the shout at the devil record. Which mm-hmm. was, it was the version that had a black front. So it had mm-hmm. a black front, a matte front, but the pentagram was gloss. And, and it said Motley Crue's name. And I thought, well, that looks pretty badass. And I turned it around and like, their photos on that album are just like there's flames and they're wearing that awesome red and black leather leather with like little spikes and shit and cod pieces and everything. And I was, I was probably in fourth grade and I was like, that is the coolest fucking thing I've ever seen. And, and so I, I got to listen to that record and I, I definitely loved it, but it wasn't until um, theater of pain came out um, with their hit home, sweet home. One of many mm-hmm. hits. Um, that I like truly fell in love with that band. 
Um, and, and like, what, you know, I had not just posters, but like door posters. Remember those? Like the size yeah, of the door? Yeah. I had like so many door posters that they had to go on the wall. And, um, and I had like, you know, my, my mom and stepdad worked at this magazine distribution company, which had like every music magazine. And so yeah. I had tons of like cutouts. You had, from so you had all the cutouts. You, you, you had everything. That's and awesome. everything enough to like, I had a cutouts so that I could tape onto my school folders, like <laughs> and everything I needed to be a fan. And like, and, and I, and I thought about them all the time. I remember buying their VHS, like home video. Cause bands used to always have like a VHS home video. They called it before like, the Pam and Tommy video, but yeah. not that home video. <laughs> I mean, I, I mean, I mean, you did have that home video. We've all talked about, well, we, we, we didn't buy it. We all saw it. We all saw that's it. That's right. That's right. But like, you know, it was like them, like just going to band practice and mm-hmm. being in the studio and like hanging out with chicks. It's stupid. It's stupid. But I, I watched it over and over again. Sure. And I would buy like once Tommy Lee had custom sticks, I used those, those drumsticks for my drumming. And just to say that the first time my band ever played like a meaningful show, which was all the way in like probably seventh grade or eighth grade, I guess. I, I actually like before leaving the house to go to this show, I actually sort of prayed to one of those door posters. I was like, dudes, dudes, I'm going to need everything i can get tonight okay you know it was like a battle of bands or something like that and um so yeah that was it like i i was i thought about them all the time i imagined their lives i imagined myself in their lives i did not have an easy time doing that um and they did not hold up as we all know if we've got youtube um not only did they i mean they're some of their records did hold up i can really enjoy the first record i can really enjoy Livewire, um, Livewire is still a banging song, and I still love "Shout at the Devil." Yeah. I still, I still love some of the. I actually love riffs on every album. I mean, I, I, I fell off uh, at uh, Doctor Feelgood. Mick but, Mars, Mick Mars was a genius. Vince Neil's younger voice, like, yeah, up and, all the way up through like Doctor Feelgood. Yeah, like his voice was magical. And like, like as a drummer, I loved the like drummer as frontman thing. I was yeah. like, oh yeah, it's yeah. pretty, it's pretty sweet. It's a good but idea. Were, were were you in? Were like, did you become a drummer because of because of them? Because of Tommy Lee? Did I become? No, I was already a drummer, but he he just was such a charismatic character, you know. Like I loved how if you watch how his body moves when he's yeah. drumming, it's like there are there are no drummers that look like that when they're drumming. Like he just. He had he his body was so into that role, um, and, and I just found it amazing. And I thought it was great when he was on a crane and being turned upside down and shit. It looks yeah. really stupid now. And if you uh-huh. watch the YouTube, we probably <laughs> talked about this in our first our first episode together. But like, if you watch the YouTube recordings of those solos, they're not super good, and they're not good because he's upside down. Uh, you know, it's just right. like <laughs> Jesus. One my cl- my closing bit on this is one of the things that I enjoyed about the Taylor Hawkins tribute show, um, the one in L.A. is that Nikki Six and Tommy Lee played a couple of Motley Crue songs with Foo Fighters and others helping to sing or whatever, and it was just really cool to like see those songs being performed like super competently and like not in the not in the context of just utter terrible cheese yeah, right. <laughs> like just hot <laughs> melting drowning cheese and i was like oh yeah these songs are still pretty good <laughs> so anyway that's mine 
What about you, Christina? Yeah, I'm curious about Christina's answer to this. So the first thing that I ever loved the way that you loved Motley Crue, I think, was the TV show Saved by the Bell. But when I was like six years old, but the first thing I ever really, really loved and had like an outstanding love for and like had merch for and that like, I I didn't think about it the way that you thought about Motley Crue, because when I say what this is, you'll completely understand why, but that I genuinely loved was Sesame Street. Yes. Sesame Street. Like I loved it so much as a kid and I had like the sleeping bag and I had like the stuffed animals and I would go to Sesame Street live and I had yeah. like, you know, I would watch it. And I had the, the, the tapes and um, I had some of the books and, and I loved it. I loved it so much. And, and I don't know why I loved, you know, Sesame Street and the Muppets and, and all of it, but it wasn't just the Muppets, right? Like I, yeah. I, I liked the humans too. Like I wanted yeah. to marry Bob and, and uh, yeah, and, Bob, and, yeah, yeah, Gordon was great. And, and, and Luis, I remember yeah. when Luis and Maria got married, like yeah. that was like a whole special episode. And yeah. like, I loved Loved, loved, loved Sesame Street and by extension, Jim Henson. Like, I just mm-hmm. like loved that. Yes. Um, and uh, yeah, I, I'm still a fan. Like, I, I still love Sesame Street. I met, um, I was very fortunate that I got to meet Carol Spinney, uh, who mm. uh, was the voice of Oscar and Big Bird and, 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 and played Big Bird when he came to Mashable to do a, a collab between uh, uh, Oscar the Grouch and Grumpy Cat. <laughs> and it was and it was a close set and 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 they let me come in and I was off of a red eye and I'll never forget this. Like I got in at like six or seven AM and I went straight to the office. Like I had like my bags with me. I was just getting in from San Francisco. And I, I, I have a photo and I look like shit, but there's a photo of me and Oscar and I got to meet Carol Spinning and I got to tell him that like to thank him for my childhood. And like I cried like a baby, like I'm gonna cry right now even thinking about it because yeah. I got to like tell this guy like Thank you for that. I had the same thing when I met the um, the current uh, voice of Bert, who wasn't even my Bert, but yeah. he was he was you know he took over um, uh, like I think in the, in the uh, late eighties or early nineties because I I don't remember if Jim Henson was was a voice of Bert or not, um, but but he um, took over in the early nineties. So this guy wasn't even really my Bert, and um, I mean there might have been some overlap, but but not not great one. And I like cried when I met him and I was like, yeah. thank you for, for what you do and what you bring yeah. out to kids because it's, it's magical what they do. And when, you know, when mm-hmm. you see them, especially like when I've been able to luckily been fortunate to see those uh, puppeteers, how they are with them. And like, it is like they are, you, the puppet is, you know, you don't even look at the human, like you're interacting mm-hmm. with the puppet. It's, it's, it's unreal. And, and, and they, they clearly love what they do so much because they could make more money doing other things. And right. everybody who's involved with, with that, except for, I guess the licensing people uh, could be making so much more money than what they do with, with Sesame street and, and those types of things. And yet uh, they do it anyway. And, uh, and they do it because they love it. And they do it because yeah. they, they know that it helps people and because it like touches kids in like a really special way. And so, uh, yeah, like I, I will never, I will be, always be so grateful that I got to like tell Carol Spinney, like, thank you for, you know, that's amazing. childhood. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's awesome. Did you, do you remember the Muppet babies? 
course. Muppet babies, we make our dreams come true. Yeah, yeah I yeah, love that. Here's your answer. My first, my first rock and roll album <laughs> was the Muppet Babies Rocket to the Moon, which I had on a seven inch record that I played on. I can I can picture it exactly. This like play school record player I had. Yeah. Anyway, so so the Muppet Babies Rocket to the Moon was like I had I literally only listened to classical and I had heard a little bit of the Boston Pops um, uh, like classical versions of pop songs and like the Star Wars theme and stuff like that. But I had never heard a four on the floor rock and roll beat up until that point. And the Muppet Babies Rocket to the Moon, I was like, snap, snap. Oh, I get this. Like this, <laughs> this speaks to my soul. And and that was the beginning of a journey into rock and roll for me. But I absolutely owe it to the Muppet Babies. <laughs> That's awesome. I love it. I love it. I you were when you brought the Muppet Babies and and when Christina brought up um Sesame Street, I was like, wait, mine is Garfield. <laughs> I had like the bedspread. I had I got all really? the books from my parents' work. What is what is what what about Garfield garners he, any kind lovable. of obsession? Yeah, I mean, no, shocked, I mean, but there there are a lot of people who love Garfield. It's actually kind of funny. I will really? say I will say that when my kids had a Garfield phase, I was like, I don't remember why I liked this, <laughs> but I loved him. He was a grump. He didn't like yep. Mondays. He was like. <laughs> He was he sassing off to the to the clueless adult in his life, you know. Did like, you did you also love Kathy? No, I wasn't huh. a Kathy fan. See, but Garfield, Gar- here's the thing. No, no, no. no go ahead, this is just the comic strip. I was gonna say because I remember Garfield primarily from the animated show, and and so I watched the cartoon. I watched the cartoon, yeah. but I was a huge fan of the books, which I could get at my parents' work. And yes, okay. that is the same place that that carried all the porn. Yeah, um, makes sense. They, they and, and I, and I also, yeah. I also just loved those books were rectangular. Um, mm-hmm. They were all the same size and, and I loved how they were different. They felt different from any other book, which was really exciting. But another fan thing I realized that ties back to one of our conversations from last episode is that when I, because again, my, my parents worked at a magazine distribution company, which means that I was regularly in a warehouse massive Costco size warehouse full of every magazine that exists and a lot of romance novels. I love this. And, um, and so I had, I would come home one visit. I would fill a box with circus magazine, hit parader, Kerrang, like all these, uh, in this case, like kind of rock, hard rock and metal magazines and, you know, Rolling Stone and I mean everything. Right. And so I had a knowledge about the bands I loved that was quite current given that there was no internet. Because I was constantly reading the newest interviews with them or, or reviews or whatever it was. And I, I don't think about that often enough that I had, I had something much closer to the internet than most of my friends by being sure. able to, you know, there was a magazine called soldier of fortune, soldier of fortune. Oh, man. And, but b- before they got busted for it, there were people in the back advertising their services as mercenaries, mercenaries. Yeah. Yeah. Like, I mean, like I, I had the whole, there was a magazine called prison life. Like, yep. I, it was just like I had everything in front of me. Anyhow, I'm going off on a tangent, but you can you can imagine how a kid from my background grew up with a certain survivalist bent. Yes, um, that is that is common for fundamentalists. Um, but yeah, like uh, I used to run around in the woods with a an army helmet and full camo, and we would read Soldier of Fortune and 
um, you know, imagine someday when we could offer our mercenary services to people in the back of Soldier of Fortune. <laughs> I mean, what's crazy is that in this case, right, these were Vietnam vets. It was pretty intense, uh, right? Like, it was yeah. just like, these were yeah. guys that were like, the war's been over for 10 years and I don't know what to do with myself. So it, it was, it was for hustle. real. It was scary yeah. shit. <laughs> That's a funny to go from Muppet Babies to that. <laughs> <laughs> soldier of muppet babies although muppet babies did so many parodies you know because that was their whole yeah, thing that's a good they point could, yeah. uh, you, you you could imagine them doing like a parody of like <laughs> totally <Fortnite>. totally <laughs> yes. muppet babies of fortune yes, I, would, exactly. I would watch that fortune. I, would I would watch that uh show title um <laughs> this has been awesome I will. I love yes. That. Um, so we only in each episode, we got through one question each. We yeah. could continue to do this. I say we put it out to the listeners. If you <laughs> want to hear another episode of of Christina, Brett and Jeff interviewing each other with pie in the sky questions, uh, let <laughs> us know. Otherwise, we will get back to our regular programming. We are now be, the, the we so. Full transparency, we did this uh, two-part series. We recorded it in one day because we want to get on a Monday publishing schedule. Uh, so we have weekends to edit, and we needed to get a week ahead. So we did this long Saturday. Sorry, Garfield. Sorry, Garfield. Um, and and we are now officially back on track uh, with sponsors and whatnot. So... We're happy to continue doing this. This has been truly a blast and uh, uh, an in-depth look into psyches um, that I've really enjoyed. But we can also get back to the usual, the usual overtired shtick. Um, <laughs> so let us know. Let us know. Ping us. Ping us on Twitter. Um, our our Macedon account that doesn't exist yet, or on the Discord, <laughs> or or you know, box. You, or, or yeah, whatever. And and also let us know like uh, if you have suggestions for where we should go for Macedon or what we should do for that, or if you want us there. Like if you're there, like we'd love to hear from from you, the listeners, if that's something that we should we should be investing in uh, for the pod. Yeah. One one final recommendation to everybody, including and especially you two. Have you ever seen Garfield minus Garfield online? Yes. It's, it's Garfield, yes, comma, strips of Garfield removed. removed. And, it's so good. And John, so good. John goes from like introspective to totally insane. I put a link in the show notes. It's magical. Garfield minus Garfield. It's absolutely the existential. Best. I haven't thought about that in forever, but yeah, that that is that's like one of those like peak, <laughs> like like that that's like one of those like 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 late 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 aughts early twenty tens like things that's just like such like a perfect like encapsulation of like that like time on the internet like the gi joe psas do you remember those did you ever yes see those? yes yeah yeah oh, yeah oh yeah I mean the ones that yeah. were turned into they were dubbed over. <laughs> yeah, because Garfield minus Gar- Garfield was 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 a was a Tumblr or, or still is a Tumblr, I guess. Yeah, that's um, right. That's right. The the GI Joe PSAs would be like a kid fell on his bike and the GI Joe guy shows up and instead of saying what he actually says, he says, "Who wants a body massage?" <laughs> <laughs> anyway, oh. all right, get some sleep. Get some sleep. Get some sleep. The system is going down low.